Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible study in the book of Revelation. Tonight will be study number 16 of Revelation chapter 1 and we're currently reading verse 5 of chapter 1 where it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him, that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And we're at the point in this verse where it says, and the first begotten of the dead. And in our last time together, we were looking at that phrase, that language, the first begotten of the dead. And we went to a few other verses and we saw how this is referring to the firstborn Son of God. We know that God is one, that there is not uh, three gods or, or more than one God. There is only one God. Yet God reveals himself as three persons, but one God. And this is a mystery to us, something that our finite uh, nature will not permit us to comprehend or to understand. All we can do is recognize this is a fact, this is what the Bible teaches, and we know it is true. And within the Godhead, as the Bible calls it, within the triune nature of God, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are the three persons of God, the one God of the Bible. So we see that there is a father and there is a son. Yet God is here teaching us it really something stupendous and, and incredible. He is going into some detail as to how the son, eternal God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, became to be the Son. That is how it is that the Father is the Father and Jesus is the Son. And we're looking at some verses. I'd like to look at Colossians again. Colossians chapter 1. And I'll read verses 15 through 18. Sometimes it's just reading what God has written again and again before we understand or before it sinks in. We're, we're thick in our human nature and in, in our fallen human nature and, and our bodies are, are still corrupt. And, and so we need to hear things repeated time and again. Well, in Colossians one verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And that's referring to the Lord Jesus verse 16 for by him were all things created. Now notice Verse 15 tells us that Jesus is the firstborn, and that is, he is the only begotten, the first begotten of the dead, the Son of God. And then we read, by him were all things created. That is, Jesus is the creator of this world and universe, and he created as the Son of God already. And the book of Hebrews confirms this in the first couple of verses of chapter 1. God, 
who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time pass unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. By the Son of God the worlds were made. And therefore Jesus had to be the Son already before this world was created, obviously, since he is the Creator. And the Bible clearly says of him that he, the Son of God, created the world. Now, a little later on, when we we look at another passage, we'll see why that is so important and really ought to instruct us very definitely about when Jesus actually died for the sins of his people and became the Son of God. But let's continue reading here in Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now that's a theme that we're going to find also uh, mentioned in the next verse, in verse 18. It is extremely important for us to understand and realize that Jesus is before all things. And verse 18 will tell us that he has the preeminence. And that is, he came first. That's why God tells us directly, he is the first begotten son of God. The first begotten of the dead. There were no others before him. And God would be very jealous of this fact and truth that Jesus was the first to rise from the dead and and it says here in verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now again, notice that Jesus is the beginning. He is the firstborn. It's the firstborn son that has all of the blessing of the Father. And Christ is the firstborn of the Father. We saw other verses, for instance, in Romans chapter 8, I think it was verse 29, um, and in Hebrews chapter 12, I, I believe it was verse 23. Let me double check that Hebrews verse. In Hebrews 12:23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. We, the elect people, are the church of the firstborn. That is the church of Christ. We we are not the firstborn ourselves. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. And then all of the children of God follow. We also will be resurrected from the dead. We have to have the resurrection of our spiritually dead soul. We're resurrected from the dead the first time. And then we will need a resurrection from this body, whether it has already died and gone into the grave or 
just from the sentence of death in the body if we happen to be alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. And so we likewise will be resurrected because he was first resurrected. And and this is the pattern. This is how God has set things up. This is the plan of God. Now, just to finish this verse in Colossians 1, verse 18, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And a big difficulty lies with anyone that says that Christ had to die for sins, for the sins of his people at the cross in history in 33 AD after 11,000 years of time had already uh, unfolded. And during that time, there were individuals that had died physically and God rose or resurrected them from the dead back to physical life. And not to mention God's people who died in soul and were resurrected all throughout that period of 11,000 years of history. They, they were rising from the dead in spirit. And even when Moses was given a resurrected body after he had physically died. So he rose from the dead as well, all before 33 AD. So there is just tremendous difficulty, all sorts of problems for anyone who insists that, no, when the Bible speaks of Christ resurrecting, it must have been after the cross when he uh, rose that early Sunday morning. No, it is not possible. That is not what God is saying. The Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead before the world began. You know, it says in Hebrews chapter 1 also, a little further along, in verse 5, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. You see here, God is indicating there was a point where he stated, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when was he begotten? He was begotten when he rose from the dead. But the next verse tells us that he brought the first begotten into the world. That means that Jesus was already the firstborn son of God. Jesus was already risen from the dead, in other words, when he was born of the Holy Spirit. And the Virgin Mary gave birth and he entered into the human race. God was already considering him his first begotten son because he had already died and had already risen from the dead prior to that point. I know this is baffling to some people. They, uh, it, It's amazing, actually, 
But we have to keep in mind we're talking about eternal God. And even though we don't understand some things, we have to recognize that, well, if this is what the Bible says, so be it. Just as we don't understand everything about the Trinity, we finally have to accept our limitations and we just humble ourselves before the Word of God. And likewise, we have to realize that the Bible insists that Jesus died and resurrected from the foundation of the world. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1, and we'll read a verse that states this, and I'll read a couple of verses here in Romans 1, beginning in verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now let me stop there. See, God has done something very common in the Bible. He has made an absolutely incredible statement, yet he made other statements along with it. And the Lord, in other words, filled this verse up with so much information that perhaps we didn't quite catch what he was saying. But uh, allow me to just read the first part of verse 4 of Romans chapter 1, where it says, And declared to be the Son of God with power. Speaking of Jesus, he's the only Son of God that is in view And notice he's declared to be the Son of God. This is referring to the point when God uh, makes that declaration, as we read in Hebrews 1, Today I have begotten thee. He is declared by God, This is my first begotten, my only begotten Son, the first begotten of the dead. Now, That's what the Bible says in other places. He's the firstborn, but not just called the firstborn son, but the firstborn of the dead. Now, we read the beginning of Romans 1 verse 4, declared to be the son of God, and then read the closing statement of the same verse by the resurrection from the dead. Did you did you catch it? Did you hear it? Jesus is declared to be the Son of God by or through, or we could say via, the resurrection from the dead. That is, he first had to die, and the Bible does tell us he is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world in Revelation 13, verse 8. And not only die, but resurrect, come back to life. And this resurrection of Christ is what prompted God and moved God to declare, This is my Son. This is the firstborn of the dead, my only begotten. There is no other There is no other instance, no other point in time or in eternity 
when God will make this declaration, the declaration of God stating that Christ is his son is at a singular point and no other point. It is only when Jesus rose from the dead and he was declared to be the son by the resurrection from the dead. Well, now again, we need to read those verses. We won't take the time, but please do read all the many verses where God calls Jesus his son, where he's spoken of as the son of God. And and then ask yourself, how could he be the son in the gospel accounts so early on when he has not yet died and he has not yet risen from the dead? And how could he be the son who created the world, as we saw in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, and in Colossians chapter 1 also. How could God call him the Son when God himself says he uh, makes that particular statement only at the point of Christ rising from the dead? And you see, there is no other conclusion we can come to. The only conclusion the Bible will permit is that Jesus died, as the Bible says, from the foundation of the world, and rose before this world began to be called the Son of God, then as the first begotten of the dead, the only begotten Son of the Father, he spoke and created this world and universe, and that's why the Bible says the Son is the Creator. And then, from that point on, he is known as the Son of God. And when Christ entered into the human race, when he was born of the Virgin Mary as a baby and developed just like any other man in the world, that at any point God can call him his son because he had already long ago before the world began, risen from the dead. Now everything fits, everything is in harmony with everything else in the Bible, and we have a perfect uh, doctrine of the Scripture. This is what the Bible teaches, and this is information that, that no one knew previously before the time of the Great Tribulation, when God took the seals off the Scriptures And he opened up this information. Everything we learn concerning this particular doctrine is true and trustworthy and can be proven by the Bible itself. All right, let's go back to our verse in Revelation chapter 1 and in verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Now here we have another statement that, as as I mentioned before, this verse is just jam-packed, you know, we would say uh, in our modern day, with information. Every statement is is just dripping with glorious truth, with information uh, that that is extremely important to the gospel program of God. And here God says that he is the prince. Christ is the prince of the kings of the earth. Now we have long known 
as God has taught us how to understand the Bible, that um, he speaks of the Lord Jesus as the King of Kings. Uh, He is the glorious and majestic King over all the kings of the earth. And this is true of earthly kings, the actual kings that rule countries. And it's true of spiritual kings. And God has in view believers who are typified as prophets, priests, and kings. And it's very clear in in this verse and also in the verse that follows where it says, And the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. There, There's no doubt in this verse and in verse 6 of Revelation 1 that the kings of the earth are spiritual kings. We are made kings because we have been adopted into the royal family of God. And as Jesus is a king and we have been adopted into his family to be Christians, to take his name, we are of royal blood and and we also are identified by God as being kings. But the uh, curious thing is, the thing we have to investigate and check out further is the statement that the prince of the kings of the earth. Why does God speak of the believers as kings of the earth? And that language is not used exclusively of believers, so we have to be careful. It it is used, for instance, in Revelation 21, in verse 24, uh, and this is speaking of the new Jerusalem, which is only made up of true believers. It says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. No doubt, uh, once again, that the true believers are the kings of the earth. However, let's compare what we read in Revelation chapter 6, where God is describing the day of judgment, which we happen to be in right now. And he says in verse 14, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Well, certainly these kings of the earth in the day of judgment who are hiding themselves with all the rest of the people of the world in the day of judgment. And who are they hiding from? Look at verse 16. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? They're hiding themselves from Christ. They they fear his wrath. They don't want to be punished with the furious wrath of God. That cannot be the true believers. For one thing, we don't experience the wrath of God. We've already experienced punishment in Christ when he died for sin. Again, that happened before the world began. 
so we don't fear the judgment day as others might. We, we have no need. Uh, yes, God is trying us and testing us, and there can be many difficulties, but it's not due to punishment. God's people aren't being punished. This means that God is using the same phrase, the kings of the earth, to refer to true believers here in Revelation 1 and in Revelation 6 and actually some other places we could go to. He is using it to describe unbelievers, people who are not truly saved. So we have to be careful and we have to look at the context wherever we find this statement. But why is it that God does this? Why would he uh, use this kind of language to describe both his people and those that are not actually his people? Well, we can find the answer to that once we realize that the Bible speaks of two earths. There is this present world, this evil world, the Bible calls it, that we're in right now. And there is a world to come, a new earth that the Bible speaks of. And the believers will reign with Christ where? Remember Jesus said when some were threatening him that his kingdom was not of this world. If his kingdom were of this world, then would his servants fight. But his kingdom is not of this world. See, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to reign eternally over a vast and glorious realm. But it is not including this earth because God is going to destroy this world. So there are those that have their inheritance in this life, the unbelievers, especially those in the corporate churches and congregations or professed Christians even outside of the church, that are not saved. Uh, they identify with Christ and therefore could be likened to kings of the earth, but their earth, that they are spiritually reigning as royalty over, is this earth, a temporal earth that will be destroyed, while the earth where the children of God, the children of Christ, who is the prince of the kings of the earth, where they will reign with him forevermore is a new heaven and new earth. That is how we can understand uh, why God can use this phrase of both groups.